0: Have you thought this
1: through? No way will that work. Are you sure? Is there any money in that? You'll Bye. never make any money doing that. How are you going to get the mortgage? Just get a job. Are you going to try and sell
0: that? Why can't you be normal like anybody else? All right. Will your parents morons too? <laughs> Savvy
1: Entrepreneur to the Rescue! Congratulations. Congratulations. That really turned out well. Really I'm really job. I'm really excited. I'm surprised. You know, I wish. I never thought I needed
0: How did you do that? I'm so glad you're here to on your chair. I wish I had the courage to follow my friends. Good morning, all you entrepreneurs and small business people. You're listening to The Savvy Entrepreneur Show. I'm Doris Nagel, your host for the next hour. The show has two goals. First, to share helpful information and resources. If I can help just one of you entrepreneurs out there not make some of the mistakes I've made myself or I've seen clients or friends make over the years, then I've been successful. But the second goal of the show is also to inspire. I found at least being an entrepreneur can be confusing and lonely. Sometimes you have no idea if you're on the right track or not or where to turn for good advice and it's easy to get discouraged. So to help with both of those goals, every week I have guests on the show who are willing to share their stories and their advice. And this week's guest is Melissa Keel. She is the CEO of a company called Riki Interiors, and she's here with me this week to share her journey as an entrepreneur. Now, Riki Interiors is not a startup tech business. It's a a well-established business, but I think, What Melissa will share with us this week is that you need entrepreneurial skills to grow those businesses as well. You may need different skills, but you need entrepreneurial skills as well. So with that introduction, Melissa, thanks so much for being with me today. Welcome to the Savvy Entrepreneur Show.
1: Thank you. And thanks for having me.
0: Well, it's a delight to have you as well. And let's start just by telling listeners just a little bit about Rinky Interiors. What does it do? How long has it been in
1: business? What's unique about it and its offerings? We help people escalate their lives by starting with the foundation of their space, whether that space is in their office or their home. And we do this through interior design, construction management, furniture, and even the finishing touches of accessories, artwork, window treatments, the whole nine yards for their space. So we have a manufacturing facility in Elgin, Illinois, that's about 150,000 square feet. So if we don't manufacture it, then we um, partner with amazing vendors who can help us supply everything else you need for your space to have an amazing, amazing space, no matter where that space is. Wow. Well, so what do you make in Elgin? We manufacture office furniture, laminate office furniture, so conference tables, training tables, millwork, reception desks, private offices, workstations. So that's what we do is the manufacturing part of it. And then we have a large showroom that shows the rest of everything else that we sell besides all of our furniture that we make as well.
0: So some of the products at least that you source as well from
1: your partners Yes, we've been business for 27 years. I've been here for 24 of them. Wow. And uh, Yeah, I bought the business in 2019 and we're constantly growing and changing. When I started working here, we didn't even manufacture. We just did used office furniture. Then we started manufacturing our own furniture. Now we have a full interior design firm inside of our facility. And then right after COVID, we also started doing interior design and construction for homes as well.
0: Well, I didn't realize you did homes. So how do your clients typically break down in terms of, I'm guessing most are still offices? Um, yes,
1: probably 80, 90% of our business because we just launched the um, interior design for homes uh, last year. So that's really new for us. And um, so, yeah, probably 90% of our business is still in the offices. And then uh, the homes, it just makes up a small part of it, but it's just the beginning and it's growing.
0: So are most of your customers
1: long-term
0: customers? How how do you find customers typically?
1: So how we find customers is I have 13 um, outside salespeople who um, do a great job networking. They have what we call power partners. So they get with other salespeople who sell to the same type of people that we sell to in the office so the hr person the facilities manager Uh the cfo the owners and uh they get together and share that oh this person's renovating their space or this person's moving and they share leads that way or cold calling um a little bit we get from the internet not as much um, and then office furniture, you would think, oh, when you buy office furniture, you don't really need to buy it again anytime soon uh, because it's, you know, it, well, and especially because ours lasts forever and we have a lifetime warranty on our furniture, but our customers are growing all the time. So they need a new space or they're moving or they just want to have an updated, you know, area. So 60% of our business is repeat customers that we've had for, you know, the 27 years that we've been in business. Wow. Which always shocks me sometimes because I'm like, why do you need to buy office furniture again? <laughs> you already yeah, bought it. Yeah, you know,
0: I guess that's kind of my mentality too. It's like, oh, so, you know, you had a great client and they bought a lot of things and their office looks phenomenal and then they go away and you don't hear from them for a long time. But, you know, I guess that leads to uh, another question that obviously, it's been in the news a lot with COVID. Um, How has the pandemic changed things for both for you and for a lot of your business customers and maybe your home customers, too, for that matter?
1: Yes. So I would say, well, back to when the shutdown happened, which was, you know, very scary. We are relationship-based customers company and basically shut down where you can't go see customers anymore. I'm like, that's how we get all of our businesses, networking and seeing customers face-to-face. Right. So that was pretty scary. That was pretty scary. So, but I have an amazing team and we're constantly like, okay, what's next? What can we do next? What's needed in the market? How can we help our customers? And we actually developed a product called Safe Space, which was um, like the big plexi um, items that you would see out there, but we ended up doing ours via design way. So they um, flowed with your office. So they either matched the color top that they were sitting on, or they were curved units that um, went around your curved desk that you had. They looked more built in instead of Scary, where some of them were like, Yeah, oh my God, they, they put up they saran less, wrap, they, or Oh, they put up a two long. by four, and like, <laughs> Yeah, and people spent a lot of money on their space to look so beautiful. And then I came into some people's spaces, like, Oh my gosh, what are you doing? And, um, and some of it just created fear in people the way it looked. Like, I mean, I even heard, Oh my gosh, one of my employees' mothers worked at a place that they put up a shower curtain around for that. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, oh my god, who wants to work in that environment? It was um crazy. So, um, so that ended up helping our customers, but as as well as us, and we were shut down for three solid weeks. That was very scary. I have 150,000 square feet, and it was all black, no manufacturing, no machines running, no, nobody in the office. And we're like, okay, what are we going to do? And we couldn't even go out and do any of our own installs that we were doing before. Cause you couldn't get into anybody's space. All right. But my right, team, right. my team in two weeks, we developed the line pricing, naming protocol, prototypes, website all in two weeks And we literally were up and running in two weeks, bought as much Plexi as I could get my hands on across the country and started manufacturing. And we had our first sale the first day that we launched um, the new product, which was really cool and very amazing and helped us get through the whole pandemic during that whole time. That, now, that's um, amazing. yeah, it was really cool. I'm so proud of my team. I have the best team I think in the world, but, um, now, um, you know, like a lot of the Plexi has come down, you know, now that the mask mandate is, you know, changing and, um, different things like that. And I would say in the big corporate world, a lot of people are still just working from home, but, the smaller businesses or manufacturing companies or companies where you still do need to be in the office are changing up their space. Our interior design is like we're busier than we were pre COVID um, on designing different spaces for companies. And I, I think I, I can believe
0: that. Um, and and what, what are you seeing in terms of what businesses
1: want these days? What they're wanting now more than anything is collaboration spaces. So like redoing their, they want people to get back to the office and they don't, employees don't want to come back to the same old, uh, you know, place that they had before if it wasn't, you know, up to date so break rooms they're spending a lot of money on you know break rooms and lunch rooms and you know also collaboration spaces for like brainstorming and getting together and meeting because you can like a lot of companies still need where employees have like heads heads down space what we used to call it you know we used to have like separate the, places that we would Q, have for heads down space the, yeah you can do that at home now yeah you know, you can do heads down space at home. So if you have a big project you need to work on or um, different things like that, I think now that when you're in the office, people want to collaborate more and want to share stories and want to come up with, hey, I had this idea. What do you think about it? And and when I have more communication, so the space is definitely becoming more collaborative and then like the heads down spaces are really being put into the homes now. Just do that at home and then come into work later the afternoon. You know, I've been seeing a lot more hybrid um, going to the office and working from home, both.
0: Do you you see offices investing more in, like, technology to collaborate? I I don't know, like, uh, interactive white spaces or more
1: higher tech meeting rooms or, or things like that? Somewhat. I think that right now people are just, like so sick of, I mean, and Zoom is so wonderful and it's awesome. And <laughs> it's helped us not have to do a lot of commuting and you know it, it it's helped out tremendously. But now people are like, Oh, I want to see a real person in right. you know, a live person. So we've been noticing more of just the live space, um, whiteboard um, material. We actually have desks that are made out of whiteboard material now. So what? we can just like write right on your desk.
0: How does, and, really?
1: Yeah. You can just come up with an idea and um, just write all over it. Um, And it's kind of cool. So it's like, if I'm sitting at my desk with somebody, I can be like, hey, here's the, here's the, you know, dry erase board. Here's mine. Let's, let's draw something or let's, you know, figure out a problem or whatever. And we can just write right on my desk and then just erase it. Hmm.
0: Well, there is something satisfying about a whiteboard. There's no question I have in my home office a very large one, and it's covered with all different colors and and arrows and boxes, and um, it probably means nothing to anyone else, but uh, there is something very satisfying about it. I'm not sure what that
1: is. I agree with you. I know. And when people are like, I can write on my desk, like, that's even cooler, <laughs> like you know? You're, like you're back in back in grade school,
0: right? Being naughty instead of being punished for writing on your desk. Exactly. Or, OK. Well, at, do you see people also investing in their home offices more as a result of COVID?
1: Yes, I do. Um, that's kind of slowed down a little bit, to be honest with you, now that people are coming back into the office. So that was a really big thing before because there wasn't ergonomics, and ergonomics is so important. And people are, you know, we're sitting at their kitchen table or their you know couch. And, right. and I'm like, Oh, you're hurting your neck or your arm, or you are know, gonna get headaches. And right. um, so yes, uh getting the proper ergonomic chair as well as sit stands, you know, sit stands are like the craze. I mean, I was five years ago, I'd sell maybe one a month. Now I don't I don't even have one customer who doesn't put a sit stand. You're talking um, about desk. the standing desks? Yeah. So where you can just push a button, your whole desk goes up, and your whole desk comes down. Mine is huge. I have um like a three-legged one and it's probably seven foot by four foot, and the whole entire thing goes up. Wow. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> that is very cool.
0: So how has the company changed since you've been there. Um, and you know I guess I'm curious how it changed before you took over the the helm there and then how it's changed since then. I mean it it's a business that uh, as it sounds like it's evolved a lot from its early days.
1: Yes, definitely. So I would say I've been running the company for a very long time. So I've probably been running the company for the last 13 years. So I started out when I started working here just as an accountant. Um, I actually have my CPA and, um, and and then I just learned more about the business and I'm the type of person who just likes to learn more every single day. So what else can I learn on a daily basis? And I just learned and learned and learned.
0: I, um, I tell people, Melissa, I never passed out of the why phase. When yes, I
1: me too. Oh, why? How come you do why? it like that? Why do you do it like that? How come that you're doing way? it like this? Yeah, like <laughs> for sure. But man, it's really, it's, I don't know. To me, it seems like a better way to live. It's more interesting. But but so I learned a lot and I became um, the person president slash sales manager, CFO, all three hats in one. I don't, I don't recommend that by the way. Um, (laughs) 13, 13 years ago, I was doing that. Um, and then I would say once I took over more and then purchased the company, um, I've learned to delegate even more and hire even more wonderful people to um, back me up and um, be able to work on the things that I really want to work on, you know moving the company forward. We've always been the type of company for a continual improvement process. But I would say since I've started, I'm like even more of since I've started like owning the company, I'm more about like, okay, what else can we do? What else can we do? And I would say before we were just like slowly adding new items on and we've always been a continual improvement company. But slowly, I would say since that I've purchased the company, then I'm like, oh, yes, okay, I want to do this and this and and I don't have somebody I have to like consult with of like, and he doesn't say, oh, I don't like that, or I don't want to do that, or I don't know. Now I can just like, let's try it. Come on, team. Let's go.
0: (laughs) Well, that's an interesting evolution and an observation um, of how company ownership really does create a different dynamic. And um, I, I don't know if it's that you don't have you have fewer people to to ask permission from or maybe it's just a mental thing or maybe it's now you feel like it's really your baby what 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 do you
1: attribute that to? I know, I do think about that a lot. That's interesting that you asked that question because I know before I was like, what's the difference? I'm like, I was already running the company anyway and I mean, like, I already had the same employees and, you know, right? But I do think it's a mental thing that I might have just been holding myself back a little bit of like, well, he's not going to like that. Or, well, you know, maybe I could talk myself out of this or that instead of now I'm just like, well, I'm a hundred percent. Okay. It's all on me. <laughs> you know, like right. If we, if we make it or break it. And um, so it's, I think that's um it, I think it's more of a mental thing to be honest with you which is so weird that I was like I was already running the company like it was my own anyway Right right but there is a little bit of a difference once it's really yours that um you're just like free to do it whatever way you want to do it
0: Yeah and I think that's one of the appeals of of starting a business Um, You know, one of the things that I think is really interesting about your business is that, as I said in the intro, it's not, you know, I think a lot of people, when you say entrepreneurship, people think of some tech startup in somebody's garage. And yeah, there, you know, there are a lot unicorn businesses, right? Yeah, there are those businesses, but there are lots and lots of businesses that are, uh, Main Street businesses or their well-established manufacturing businesses and they know they need to continue to evolve and grow and change and that requires entrepreneurial skills too. Talk about how you've used some of your entrepreneurial skills to change the direction of the company and try and do new, new different things.
1: Yeah, so it starts with a vision for sure. Um, Being able to really see that big picture of where do you want the company to go? So once you have that vision of just like, I want, like for instance, I'll give you an example, even with my employees, not necessarily my customers, um, my customers also, but on my employee side, it's very, very, very important to me that my employees live their best life. And I don't want work just to be work for them. I want work to be able to be something that can help them achieve their personal goals and whatever those might be. So that's something that's definitely changed since I've taken over full-time you know, ownership is that I concentrate more on, okay, what do you want out of life? And meeting all my managers meet with their employees employees and what are you looking for what's going to make you have your best life what's your bucket list item what can you do to um really excel at work at home or what what do you want to do where do you want to grow what do you want to get into that's a very big passion of mine of like helping people see that they can grow beyond where they are right now and I really want their place of work here to not just be work that they come to every day I want it to be um something that they're like passionate about as well as our work can help them achieve their personal goals as well. It's very, very important to me.
0: I'm curious, you must have a story or two of how the employees have responded to that. I'm sure some people maybe just wish you would just leave them alone and let them do their little thing, but um, I'm sure you have some stories of how that has given permission to certain employees to really
1: blossom. Yes. So, yeah, you are right. Some people are like, oh, here she comes again with her like positivity. You're going to push me out of my comfort zone, you know, like so I do know that I do have that, um, you know, happening. Um, But then it's also fun to see where um, I'll give you an example of something that I put into place this year. So for the last couple of years, I have been working with a consciousness, consciousness coach about um, just being conscious and aware in life of how you're behaving, how you're showing up. How are you going to be as a leader for my team? And we're reading this book called The 15 Commitments to Conscious Leadership. And I put it in place this year with my whole team. So they're all reading the book. And every other week we meet to go over the different chapters of the book and how we can implement them in their personal life and at work with their communication skills, with their um, ability to, um, you know, move the needle for themselves in their lives. And it's definitely uncomfortable. Like we're in a meeting and, you know, you have everybody in there and you have to be a little bit vulnerable. And I don't mind being vulnerable. Everybody knows my whole story. I share everything. I'm an open book. So, but it is much harder for some of them to like, Ooh, I have to share. I I don't, I don't want to share, you know, and then you have, but then you have some of them that are like, Oh my God, that was the best thing. I've never like looked at life like that. I never, you know, tried that. And, Oh, I've already heard two stories of, Oh my gosh, that helped me with an issue that I was having with one of the, my son's, uh, baseball parents, you know, another baseball parent, or, man, that helped me with my communication with my mom. And the more you can have your personal life be happy, the more you're going to have your work life be happy.
0: Well, and I'm guessing a certain amount of creativity is really helpful in the work that you do. I mean, maybe at first blush, people think office, not very interesting, but you know, if we're going to reinvent the office of the future, it it requires some out-of-box thinking and every client is got different needs, so I'm sure
1: you need people who have their creative juices flowing. Yes, for sure, cuz we actually pride ourselves in that we you know, we joke around here. We don't sell office furniture. We do. But we really are more being a consultant to the business owner on what do you want your space to feel like? What do you want the flow of your work to be like? what How do you want the communication to happen with inside your organization? How do you want your employees to feel? How do you want your customers to feel when they come in? And that's really more exciting for us. If somebody just wants to buy a chair or whatever, yeah, here you go. I'll sell you a chair.
0: I mean, the, the reality is for a lot of pure manufacturing businesses, I mean, if I want a chair, I can go to Staples. I can go on Amazon and find something, right? But what I can't get is somebody who helps pull it all together, somebody who has a vision for what it needs to look like and how to lay it out.
1: Yes. And help pull it out of the owner too, because you, you can't just do the same space for everybody. Some people want a homey feel. Some people want a techie feel, you know, some people want the creative, fun, wild colors, you know, feel and, and you you have to kind of get that out of people so that then you can come in with an amazing design. And that goes from flooring, to the wall color, to the furniture, to the window treatment, to the accessories, to the lighting, you know, there's so much involved with the feel and a lot of it, you don't really know what goes into the details, but if you walk into a space, you can feel it. You know, if you walk into this space or this space, you're like, whoa, the other thing that it helps with too is <laughs> well, in a um, and- good
0: way or bad way. I'm not sure. It may be
1: some of both depending on where you are. Yes. And the space also can help with like employee retention or even when you're hiring, because if you think about it, okay. So you have a project manager going to come work for you or going to work for somebody else. Usually the pay is relatively the same. And so, you know, the benefits are relatively the same, you know, within, you know, thousands of dollars, but you go in for an interview at one space and it looks like, you know, the eighties or nineties, um, or you go into another space and it looks, you know, more up to date. Psychologically, the person will usually pick the job of the space that looks better for two reasons. One it shows that the employer cares about the employee. Yeah. yeah. And then two, it also shows that they're with the times. They're progressing. They're like moving forward. They want to, you know, and so it feels like they would have more growth at that company. And that's what a lot of employees are looking for nowadays. They don't want to just be stuck in the same job, you know, 10 years from now.
0: Yep. Well, Melissa, let's talk about the business itself what kind of entrepreneurial skills do you think looking back on your time with the company and I'm sure you have friends who are in other manufacturing businesses what kind of entrepreneurial skills make someone successful as a CEO and or owner of a more established business?
1: So yeah so on um, on both, I would say on both, either you know, a startup or a not, you you can't be afraid of risk. <laughs> that is for sure. You have to be able to be um, uh, liking liking risk um, on both ends because you would think that oh well, an established business it's not as risky. Um, it is, though, to keep a business up and running um, the overhead that um, you have as a business owner, uh, especially an established business, because the overhead ends up growing so much. When you're a startup, you only have like a few. You don't even have an office yet, you know, usually. And, you know, the, the expenses are are much lower. But it seems like as a business gets bigger and bigger and has more years, the overhead just keeps growing growing which then just makes you have to uh, sell more and um, and especially right now with the way everything is changing, the price increases that are everywhere, the wages that are more money um, it's just like it just seems like money is now gas prices it's just like insane the amount of um, different expenses you know that you have. The one thing too about an established business is that you can run into bad habits that you had, you know, if you have a startup that is brand new, you don't have any bad habits. You're just starting right from scratch, but sometimes changing those old bad habits or, well, that's not the way we used to do it or, you know, um, can, can be um, an issue for sure. But I would say any type of, you know, entrepreneurial business, if you're going to take over an existing business or um, start one from scratch, you definitely need to have vision, Risk, not afraid to make a mistake. Because if you're afraid to make a mistake, you can't grow. Um, You're not pushing outside your comfort zone. You just have to learn from those mistakes and keep going and just keep, um, you know, getting back up and knowing that um, there's always something. There's always a challenge. I'll give you an example. So October, November, December, we had our best sales quarter ever in the history of company. Good like, for you! Whoa, so on. yeah. So excited. And then January we're like, "Uh Oh, we don't have enough manufacturing employees to pull it off. Uh-huh. Okay. Our four to six week lead time just went to eight to 10 weeks. Okay. What are we going to do? How are we going to set up a new training program? How are we going to hire more people? There's no people to hire, uh, you know? So it seems like, um, you know, literally having the best quarter ever, you're like, yeah, you're so excited. And then you're like, Oh no, how am I gonna pull it all off? And right. So there's always something with a, with a business. Always, whether it's good or bad or you know, whatever. You kind of just have to, okay, what's it today? How are we gonna handle this? Where are we going? And you know. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, the other thing that occurs to me, um, I have never actually worked in a small to mid-sized company. I mean, I, I've started my own small company and hired a couple of people uh, and I've worked in big companies, but you know, um, having worked in, I think whenever you get uh, a handful of people together, the challenge is always as the company needs to change, sometimes you have people who don't, who don't want to change. And I think you alluded to that. Um, I wasn't sure when you were talking about, oh, that's how we've always done it. If that's actually uh, a burden that the management team carries, I'm sure there's some of that. But, um, but you also then have an employee base that you need to somehow kind of, you know, like you know and the bigger the ship, the more it's like the Titanic, you gotta, you know it's hard to make those those sudden changes that occurs to me.
1: yes, it is. And um I mean, when we're hiring, we definitely let people know like, Look, if you are not a person that's not, that's, you know, not good with change, this isn't the place for you. Um, we're, because we're constantly like pushing the envelope, making changes. We are custom. So we make custom office furniture. So there's never a rule. There's always like, Oh, well, there's an exception to that rule, an exception to that rule. And oh, we can make that, no problem. Cut around that column, do this, you know. So we're definitely that type of company, which definitely makes um difficult for some people who really like, well, what are the rules? And and I, I really just want to follow the rules. And I'm like, oh yeah, we don't have that many consistent rules around here. So that's, that's tough, um, you know, to do. And, and sometimes that just doesn't work out for people. And sometimes when you grow, unfortunately, um, we um, outgrew our office, um, not our office, our operations manager. We had an operations manager and it was really hard and very sad that it um, had to end between us. It We, we tried to, you know, grow with him and we did grow with him, but then the company outgrew him and we tried to get him to come up with us. Like, okay, you have to learn these few more things or you might have to go back to school or, and he just didn't want to, he wasn't willing and wanting to, um, grow and get us to the next level. So we had to like part ways after 20 years. And it was very sad because we are a company who really act like a family, even though we're not a family and, We're very close, but sometimes that happens. And, you know, you have to, if you're not moving your company forward, your company's going backwards because the times are moving and forward and technology is moving forward and people are moving forward and, and you have to stay going forward. If you think about some companies that were back, you know, like I probably shouldn't say it, but like Blockbuster, there's no blockbuster. Buster, yeah, you know? where's Blockbuster these days? They didn't stay with the Times. And where's they didn't, Sears, you know? You know? Where's, yeah.
0: You know? Where's Carson Perry's God? Where's, uh? Mm-hmm. there's a lot of them these days.
1: Oh, I know. And I mean, and they were rulers of like, I mean, Blockbuster was everywhere. They were in every corner. They had, they owned so much real estate. They, you know, um, but times are changing and you have to keep moving forward. And if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. That's the other thing, getting back to what you were talking about, the entrepreneurial skills, which is very hard for some people. So if you really want to move your company forward, that type of work doesn't come to you. Meaning like, what comes to you on a daily basis is, oh, we have this customer problem. Oh, uh, laminate came in chipped. Oh, we have this going on. Those types of projects and tasks are not moving your company forward. The only things that move your company forward are being proactive you actually have to have time. You have to sit, you have to think about what, you know, you have to actually give yourself time. If you're constantly just working in the business, a hundred percent of your time, you're not moving your company forward because moving your company forward requires being quiet, listening to yourself, looking at what's, you know, coming next, what's happening in the market, doing some research and, um, that that is never an emergency to do any of that. You always have these emergencies, but you have to take that time to sit and really work on, Okay, what do I really need to move the company forward? And that you have to be proactive for sure.
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, It is it is easy for people who procrastinate those kinds of decisions to get lost in the the crisis of the moment, or or people who um, I think there are certain uh, business owners who like to feel needed. I, I don't. I don't want that to sound wrong because we all like to feel needed. But uh, you know, and a crisis. There's nothing like a crisis where people come to you going, Doris, what should we do? What should we do? Um, you know, <laughs> that help you feel needed. Um, and so, as you say, I think it's the, the e-myth, uh, that, that famous book that talks about working in the business as opposed to working on the business. It It is really an easy trap to get caught into the crisis of the moment, um, whether for emotional, psychological satisfaction, or just because it's easier to make those decisions or they're more urgent so
1: you know you can procrastinate those bigger decisions right yes that is funny that you said that because I was that person. I loved being needed. I loved solving all of the problems that everybody had. I had a revolving door. It was almost like at the deli, take a number, you know? And <laughs> I was like, woo, and working off adrenaline and like yep. just loved doing that. Well, that is definitely not moving the company forward. And in order to switch, I had like a little bit of a, a mental crisis with the change of like, Oh my God, I'm not needed as much. And, and Oh no. And like, and I took this whole day to, um, you know, strategic plan and nobody called me or needed me and nobody texted me. And, um, and it's kind of, um, you know, like counterintuitive that the best leaders could leave for a month and not be needed.
0: You know, but that's, um, you know, the the people out there who are helping people transition out of businesses, and I'm not suggesting you should do that anytime soon or that you want to do that anytime soon. But, um, you know, the reality is, in fact, I was just talking with another guest uh, a few days ago. And, um, you know, he had a, a really successful website design business and content creation business. There's a lot of need for that out there. And he had, I don't know, 10 or 12 very talented designers and graphic artists and computer programmers working for him and a nice business. But he one day woke up and just said, I don't want to do this anymore. And, you know, I I said, well, what, what did you do? You know, you obviously had a valuable business. And he said, you know what? I really didn't. The sad part is, is that I found I was a spider in the web and nothing moved without me and so the day that I woke up and said I just don't want to do this anymore I I had prepared to be that be the spider in the web so I lost all of that basically when I said I just didn't want to do this anymore so you're making a more valuable business but I think you've made a transition that I, in my experience, a lot of entrepreneurs really struggle with because the business is their baby. And when it's their baby, it's hard for them to let go of those things. But if you don't let go, your business can never move on,
1: really. You, if you leave, you're leaving all that value on the table. Yes. And yeah, and then you can't sell it. You don't actually have anything to sell um, if you were going to try to get out that way. Correct.
0: Correct. Well, so I'm curious of some of the challenges you faced,
1: which ones were surprisingly easy for you to tackle? Easy ones I would say is just like problem solving or, um, you know, helping a customer or seeing a big picture. Um, those were definitely like the easier ones. I was like, Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah, I can do this. Or, um, The more difficult ones were um, the people challenges. There are so many different personalities that work for you and you cannot manage all of them exactly the same way you have to manage them the way they need to be managed. And it's a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, looking back, what advice would you give to other entrepreneurs who are starting out? What, what should they think about what things maybe would you have done
1: differently? Um, well, first of all, I would tell you, start with the why, what are you passionate about and why do you want to start a business? I have seen a lot of, um, people, um, let's say a carpenter like goes out on his own or, um, a designer goes out on her own and, um, they don't really realize what, all the things you have to do to own a business so if you're the carpenter you're the designer and you're out there doing your own business you're when you own your own business doing that part of it ends up becoming only 50% of your job because you have to do your own sales and you have to do your own accounting and yeah. you have to manage and, marketing you, know, you have to do right yeah yes there's just so much and and um, so you got to really figure out why do you want your own, you know, cause sometimes, well, I just don't want somebody telling me what to do anymore. And I, so I want to own my own business and it's like, okay, well, maybe that's not a good enough reason. Um, and if you don't, if you're not super passionate about um, owning your own business and knowing really why you want to do that, that's more important than the money at first, because Getting through the tough times, if you're not passionate about what you're doing or if your why is not big enough, it is very hard to get through tough times. And there are tough times in business. I don't care what kind of business you are. Um, You know, we've been in business for 27 years and we could have gone out of business probably four different times. Um, You know, we were on the brink of I remember one time I had no line of credit. I had, I was on credit hold with all of our uh, vendors. Uh, Cash was super hard to get. Um, You just couldn't get uh, customers to pay. And uh, we were like, okay, what do we do? I have this, you know, order on hold that I cannot get. And luckily, I don't even know how I pulled it off, but I had five of our very biggest vendors. I went to them and I said, okay, Can I make a deal with you of the balance that I owe you right now? Can I put that on a note and I can pay you interest over five years and put that on a payment plan? And then it'll, so it basically wiped out my, you know, accounts payable. It just went into a long-term loan. And then my accounts payable ended up where I had to pay then every 30 days so that they, you know, wouldn't put me on hold. And it worked. I had five vendors that did it for me. And I mean, it was, it was a lot of money, probably six, $700,000. Holy buckets. And yeah, it was a lot of money, but they did it and we got out of it. You know, there's a lot of times in, especially in office furniture where, you know, the recession. Okay, well, who needs office furniture in a recession? Nobody. Um, when the well, they need
0: it, but it's one of those things that if you put it off for another year or
1: two, it's... You know, right, right, exactly. Yeah. Like when the dot-com crashed, there were so many companies that were startups that had spent tons of money on furniture and then they went belly up. So all of these uh, offices had brand new furniture in them. So the companies that were moving in didn't need new furniture because they had brand new furniture inside the spaces that they were renting.
0: Right.
1: Um, you know, COVID, like we went down for a while. There were there, There's just so many times that, you know, you have to pull out of like, okay, what do I do? but it worked out those five vendors you know, they're still my vendors today. And, um, we paid them off, you know, the five years and, um, got that done and they made interest and, um, and we pulled it off and it was just like, yeah, like we did it. And you have to be super creative when you own a business and not just, you know, like, Oh, what am I going to do? And you just got to be like, okay. And it's worth asking, just ask, you don't know what they're going to say. If they say no, you're in the same position you were already in before. Yeah. Well, it's it takes it takes bravery and
0: and a belief in the company to to do that. Um, it, you know, it also it, it occurs to me that's an important theme that I've heard from other entrepreneurs too is finding good partners. Um, yes.
1: They can really make or break you, right? For sure. So um, one of the things too, like really assessing your own self on what are your strengths and your weaknesses, delegate all your weaknesses. And, (laughs) you know, it's not worth it. If you think about you're at a level 10 on, uh, you know, one skill set, and somebody else is a level 100, you can work so hard and be like, oh, I got to a level 15. Well, you're still so much less than the person at the level 100. Hire the person that's at the level 100 to do it. And then there's like things that you're not, good at there's things that you don't like to do those things somebody else loves doing and is good at doing Right, and sometimes you can't hire them right away maybe you can hire them part-time maybe you ha- can hire them on a consulting basis yeah. and yeah. then hire them later you know once you get um you know a little bit more money or however you you know can handle it you can be creative with that as well so i would say do not try to do it all on your own. You will just burn out and you're not good at half the stuff you think you're going to try to do and it's it's not worth it and it's going to drain you and not be good for your business and you'll get better, um, faster and farther if you just do the stuff that you're really good at and enjoy and let other people do the stuff that they're really good at and enjoy. And it's a much better company to be in.
0: So what do you say to entrepreneurs, and I've been in this position before where you know you're not good at something, but you don't really have, you don't have enough cash flow to really outsource it. Do you take the plunge
1: and do it anyway and just borrow the money, find the money if you believe in it? or? It depends on what it is. What I would say is I always try to start out with baby steps. So I try to start out with like, what is really needed? Who care about the people? Who cares about the people? Let's not worry about the people yet. Just what does the company need? You know, I need marketing. I need accounting. I need like, just figure out what all of the core things that you need as a company. Then once you figure that out, okay, now what am I good at? What, um, and what do I like doing? Okay. I can do all of those pieces of it. Okay, there's these three other things. Yeah. Do you have any, like I'm not do you have good at friends? website design. What, is, yeah. what do I do? But do you have any friends? Like maybe like now look at No, your I don't have any friends. Right, but then you have friends like okay, <laughs> do I have any friends that can do any of those pieces? You're yeah. like, okay, well maybe I can trade out services. With, uh, with a level of friends, okay. Or maybe there's a consultant that can do it, you know, on a part-time basis. Maybe there's even um, a parent who is, you know, a stay-at-home parent And they have five hours a week they can give you or they have 20 hours a week that they can give you and it's not going to cost, you know, as much money. You're giving them a purpose and something to do that they enjoy doing and it wouldn't cost you, you know, as much money. But then there are some other things that um, like I'll give you an example. So when I hired my CFO four years ago, so mind you, I am a CPA but it's not my it's it's not what I love doing, and um, it's not my passion, so I'm glad that I have uh, delegated that. I'm like, I can't afford the CFO. I'm like, I, this, he's too much money and this isn't gonna work for me. Yeah. Oh my God, but he's plus, helped our business so plus, much.
0: plus, you know how to do it.,
1: right? You probably do a lot of it in your sleep. So that yes, it even more But but I knew that, though, I didn't have enough time. I was the president, I was the sales manager and the CFO. And I'm like, something's got to give. I have to give up one of these three hats. So I'm going to give up the CFO hat. And oh my God, I'm so glad I did. He has paid for himself like tenfold because he was the right person for my business. And he, um, he holds us accountable. He keeps our numbers. He, he measures us. He keeps our numbers in front of us. And he's like, okay, we need to do more of this and less of this because that's what the numbers say. And, it's and, amazing and what he, the numbers can tell you. And he forced you to let go of that. Yes. And and it makes me happier on a daily basis.
0: <laughs> wow. Well, Melissa, the time has absolutely flown by. I have really thoroughly enjoyed chatting with you. But one last question before I let you go, which is how should people reach you if they'd like to learn more about, Reiki Interiors services and products, or maybe they just want to see if you are, you know, will be a sounding board for them, or maybe they're interested
1: in partnering with you. What's the best way to reach you in the company? That so um, our website for sure at reiki.com, which is R I E K E.com. Uh, You can reach me on LinkedIn, or I can even give you my cell phone number. Texting is much better than emailing me. I'm not very good at emails, but it's 847-833-7041. And I would love to talk. I love meeting new people. It's one of my favorite things. So I would love to talk to anybody about whatever they want to talk about.
0: Well, that's a very generous offer. And I can't thank you enough for being with me today and sharing some of your journey as, a, as an owner and a CEO of a manufacturing company and a services company, uh, it's been a delight having you. So thanks again for your time and for joining me today. Thank you so much. And thanks to all my listeners. You're the reason I do this. You'll find more helpful information and resources on my consulting website, com, as well as my new radio show website. Yes, I finally took the plunge. the org, And you'll find there, uh, increasingly on the new Savvy Entrepreneur site, um, as I populate it with content, free blogs, tools, podcasts, and uh, all sorts of other free resources for entrepreneurs and business, small business people. Now, my door is always open for comments, questions, or suggestions, or if you just want to shoot the breeze. Email me at dnagel, N-A-G-E-L, at org. You'll always get an answer back from me. Be sure to join me again next Saturday at 11 a.m. Central, noon Eastern. But until then... I'm Doris Nagel, wishing you happy entrepreneurial.